Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening. It is the Gen XYZ podcast. I'm your host, the real Dre, Mr. Gen X. Joined by Mr. Gen Y, Josh Neal. In the house. And Gen Z, represented by the real Trey. What is up, people? Well, it's, uh, I was going to say something funny, but I'm not that smart. In the motherfucking his house. <laughs> <laughs> Style good. Uh, figured I'd save everybody all the garbled music and uh, all that kind of stuff till we get everything worked out a little, little nicer, a little neater. Hey man, what works? It's our, uh, it's our theme song, but we'll save it for later. I'm trying to work that out, get it set up. But we're all, it's all good. The main thing is the amazing and dynamic discussion that goes on here every week on the GNXYZ podcast. Uh, how's everybody's week been? Any, any amazing news or amazing happenings for anyone? Uh, I might have a job. <laughs> hey. That's pretty dynamic in my world. Exactly. That's what's up. <laughs> they were. And when you have a job, you're able to... Determine if you want to spend your money on legalized goods. Indeed. So, <laughs> that's our main topic for tonight is we're going to talk about the legalization of, well, several different things, to be honest, but uh, the main ones being obviously marijuana. We'll discuss all drugs possibly if that's a, an option or, or something we feel like can be done. And also the the world of prostitution, if that should be legalized as well. Um, the sex trade. Exactly. Well, uh, most likely we'll talk a little bit about the Republican debate that went on this past week. Of course, talk about our boy Donald Trump. Huh, your boy. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to be the, the main focus of everyone's uh, post-debate discussion that they everyone had so we'll uh we'll give that a, a once over have everybody you know kind of maybe give some input on that and we'll get into whatever else comes across our amazing minds that we have uh, who knows maybe get a little syntax talk going i don't know we'll, we'll see how how it all works out um but to start with, I mean, you guys want to discuss the, what do y'all want to start with, the, the legalization of all drugs, kind of start with that and work it into the marijuana talk, or start with marijuana and work our way up? Oh, we could start with marijuana and work our way, work our way out. All right. 
what you what your uh, <laughs> what's your what's your thoughts on the on the legalization of of marijuana? Well, I'm not sure if I'm the lone supporter of this, but I'm for a full legalization across the board. Everything from everything from marijuana to meth to to heroin to to uh, I don't know to greenies for the baseball crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what Charles' um, opinion on the subject is, but I'd love to hear it. I mean, honestly, I I'm a little torn on it. Uh, a part of me wants to say, let's just go ahead and legalize it, let everybody make their own decisions on it, because a lot of times they, I think a lot of the big argument for it or against it is that it's going to lead to much more abuse and, and use of drugs. But honestly, anybody can go out and get these drugs right now. Yeah, but it's just because they're determined to be, you know, quote unquote legal, doesn't mean someone's going to make the decision to try it again, try it even more. I don't think. I mean, I, I wouldn't go out and try them just because it's determined to be legal. Absolutely, right. Well, I mean, if you consider if you consider it in the same line of thought as like guns, gun ownership in America has been on the steady decline for the last three decades, I believe, and that's and they're perfectly legal. So, I mean, it doesn't go to show you that just because something is legal that the populace will automatically, you know, engage it 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you see that? I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, the amount of guns that have been, or, or I assume you're talking about the, the amount of firearms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the amount of firearms has been um has been on the steady decline as a percentage of Americans that own guns. I think it went from um about around I think 40%, 40 to 50% in the um 70s, the 80s yeah. saw a decline of about 5%, the 90s saw a decline of about 5%, 2000s the same thing and right now I believe it's down to about 30 30 yeah. to 35%. Thirty, yeah, thirty-two percent right now. So that's, mm-hmm. that's weird. Uh, maybe that's. Uh, I kind of think that's gun owners, guns being bought through dealerships and things like that. Um, you know, what I'm saying I don't necessarily think that it's going to be. I think gun ownership is going to is actually on the rise overall. Yeah, and you gotta and you gotta take into consideration that these are surveys that they're giving people, and a lot of these aren't. You know, a lot of people aren't comfortable admitting to their, you know, owner. About to say owning a firearm themselves, you know, just for the simple fact of right. Because you know the American of, culture. Because I think there's a lot of distrust for the government with as far as guns goes, whenever it comes to registering your guns and things like that. Because obviously, the first place government if there ever was to be some sort of a takeover of, of weaponry or anything like that, the first place their government's going to look is the, the registration paperwork and things like that. Okay, you've owned, you signed up and bought this, you know, Winchester shotgun, and you signed up and bought this, you know, Smith & Wesson 357. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of, uh, that kind of lets you know, I think that's, that's 
that's why I'm saying it's going to be a lot more off the books kind of purchasing things like that. Yeah. You know, so we'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll see. You have a uh, dissenter as well in the in the chat right now uh, saying gun ownership has skyrocketed the last seven years. This this guy is talking out of his ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Smith and Wesson stock is up three hundred percent since two thousand ten. Well, I mean, typically yeah, the ownership all that you don't just tip. Well, typically most gun owners they don't only own one gun. So I mean, just because the numbers of firearms that have been bought and per- that have been purchased over the last decade or so has been going up, it doesn't mean that those are falling into a to a larger percentage of the population. Right. And also, just because the company model indicates a high yield or high, higher earnings potential doesn't also mean that people are, are buying buying more guns. It's just a matter of the people look at the stock and the company as being more of an of investment-type situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the marijuana side of it, I... I don't know. I haven't really seen. I've seen some studies on the the, comp, the states that have already, um, you know, introduced legalizations. You know, Colorado, Washington State, uh, some areas of California as well. Uh, Washington D.C. It's. Um, I haven't really, really seen a ton. They're saying that they're they're certainly seeing a large rise in the. Tax revenue from it has been their biggest biggest boon for the state and state government so far. Um, but I haven't necessarily seen any evidence of, you know, any rises in crime or. Um, there's I've also I have seen now some articles are saying that uh, the jobless rate has gone down because of more people working in the in the shops. And things like that. So many shops have popped up. You know, small business owners have started new new shops and, and new offices, things like that. It's able to, they're able to hire more people. And there has been a huge increase in, in the revenue for, for these businesses as well. The odd thing is it's so much – one thing that, that's kind of being dangerous with this business is the fact that since it's still against federal law for for marijuana possession or or selling of it, these these people are having to hire, you know, bodyguards to pro- kind of protect them as they carry money around. But they're not able to use banks. They're not able to put the money through the banks because that's the Federal Reserve. Yeah. If they do enter that money, it, they're automatically breaking the law. Yeah, absolutely. So that's. That's something that's going to have to be worked out. It's going to have to be a national or a federal change before it can really, you can really see the true economic effects or economic boom for the governments and for the the states and and the whole country as a whole. Well, also you have a lot, or you have um, federal regulations that you. you, uh, you oh, I'm sorry, you have federal regulations that come into uh, uh, that come into account that kind of don't help the situation either, like Dodd Frank, for instance. It's there's there's a lot more onerous regulations that are put on smaller banks that make it difficult for that make it difficult for smaller banks to come up and take care of the demand that you know that the marijuana industry is putting on these states. 
you know, they that in in an unregulated market, well, not completely unregulated, but but in a less regulated market, you would have smaller smaller community banks popping up that would help, you know, resolve some of these issues of financing and, you know, store, you know, and savings and whatnot that some of these, uh, de- that, you know, that some of these people would be dealing with. But as it is now, it's a lot harder for uh, smaller banks to pop up and kind of, you know, take the lead on this. Right. Trey, what's kind of your, you feel like the, the Gen Z thoughts on, on the mar- on marijuana and, and legalization? Um, I feel like our generation is, you know, uh, you know, we want we want to smoke pot. I guess I don't know. I feel like we're pretty <laughs> open to that. I feel like we're pretty open to pretty much anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like kind of like those uh, Budweiser commercials or Bud Light or whatever the heck it is. You know, like, you know, are you down for what's next or whatever? You know, yeah, sure, I'm down. You know, someone's in a club <laughs> and they get someone's in a club and they give me a piece of paper and they tell me to put it on my tongue, I'd be like, I mean, personally, I wouldn't, but, you know, other folks of my age would be like, all right, sure, let's go bring it on, you know, and if that was, you know, legal, you know, I think you would see more people down for that kind of thing, possibly. Yeah, a lot less stigmatized. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, that's meth. Isn't that illegal? I don't know. Maybe not meth. Like uh, cocaine. Shout out to Glenn Academy. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, Colorado. Now. Yeah. This is according to the website uh, policy.mike.com. Um, Colorado tax revenue. Has it seems to have skyrocketed ever since it started in January of last year at 35, around around 35 million. Uh, with the legalization, it started out, or it bumped it up to almost double, up to 70 or over double, 76. Um, then again, up to over a billion dollars for March. I mean, it, it there is actually some quite a bit of, of statistical evidence that there has been. Major, major influx of of money for the, for the state government because of, just because of the legalization itself. Um, it's uh, you know so would that translate to a national scale? You know if if obviously the money's going to be I don't know the profit margin of it is not going to necessarily be the same all the way through, but it's just going to be. How much of it is going to change once it is legal? Is that going to take away some of the draw that some of the people enjoy of it just because, you know, would there be less of a craving for it, so to speak, you know, in a, with a, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, well, I wouldn't I, think I, so because, I, I, I mean, when you look at alcohol and legal alcohol, I mean, I would consider right now to be, you know, one of the peak times in history for consumption when it comes to, you know, alcohol consumption in general and I mean just because something I don't think that a lot of the users consume it strictly because they feel like they're you know sticking it to the man with every you know puff that they take I think it's one of these things that just because it's illegal there's not really a draw to it I mean I don't know I just can't get behind that to be honest with you yeah I mean I guess we haven't really seen that so far in, in you know using Colorado for example um 
the good thing is, you know, that some of the argument arguments made is that it's going to be lead to more uh, potential overdoses or anything like that, or, or dangerous health health issues, health side effects, and things. And so far, there hasn't been any overdoses so far, fatal overdoses to marijuana. Um, pretty much ever that I know of, anyway. Um, I think I've heard of one, but I'm not sure if that was like a rumor or like an official thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. official. Well, if it, uh, if we're talking about officially attributed to you know death because of marijuana, there's been zero. Okay. I would say. See, I would say that there's a lot of there's a lot of health consequences that would probably yeah. come from yeah. you know for, from ingesting unfiltered marijuana right into your system or you know. Um, in general, just you know, there might be some type of, there might be some type of psychoactive, or you know, or you know, some type of toxicity that goes with it. But as for the right. drug itself causing death, mm-hmm. such as like you know, speed kind of exploding your heart, I don't think yeah. there's been any kind of official attributions to it. More of a side effects kind of thing, like the mm-hmm. lung, lung disease, respiratory disease, things like that. Possibly. Yeah. Um, hold on one second. I believe we have a another guest joining us. Is Gen XYZ podcast? Is this Miss Star? This is. What's going hey. on? Hey. Hey. Sorry, I uh, was otherwise engaged this evening, but I finally got off of that. So here I am. Uh, no worries. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Just talking a little legalization. Um, starting out with the with the marijuana debate a little bit, trying to you know come across, kind of get a consensus among the generations here of uh, how we feel like the the legalization of marijuana, how, how we feel like it would affect the country, how we feel like it would affect culture itself um, if it should be legalized. Where do you kind of stand right off the just right off you know first thoughts anyway? Okay, well, um, as we know, I'm 50-plus, so have a different perspective. Um, smoked my fair mm. share of it, <laughs> that's for sure, <laughs> college and what have you. Um, haven't done it in a number of years, but um, I, I don't really have a real problem with it. I know they say it's a gateway drug for a lot of kids, Um I smoked a ton of it. In fact, that's the only illegal substance I've ever done in my life. Um, mm. hey, what? Didn't make me want to run out and buy a crack pipe or anything. So, I mean, right. um, I, I have a lot of friends at my age that still do it. Um, I have a friend that um, has had breast cancer three times that started doing it when she was doing chemo because it gave her an appetite. Um, and she still does it. So um, I don't really, I don't have a big problem with it. I don't see any real difference between that and, and drinking, personally. Um, I think it's just the, uh, the stereotypical stigma of it is what I think is the problem. People think, mm-hmm. oh, it's illegal, blah, blah, blah. Well, so, I mean, I've never known anyone to get stoned and go shoot up a movie theater. Right. I mean, they might go into a grocery store and steal a leg of lamb or something, you know what I'm saying, because <laughs> they're hungry. Right. <laughs> okay. Famous Winston. So, yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Crab legs, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't, of all the drugs that are out there, I truly believe it's one of the most harmless. I, I don't know. Do I want kids to be smoking it? No. Can they regulate it like they do cigarettes and, 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 and booze? I, I can't see why not. On the flip mm-hmm. side of that, I see the, uh, the tax revenue um, coming in. Now, the one thing that I've talked to some friends of mine that, that live in Colorado that have actually gone out there to start a, start a pot farm because mm-hmm. it's legal out there now, um, the big issue they're having is um, it's, it's bringing the drug cartel into the United States, deeper into the United States, because it's cutting into their profits. Right. That well, that that is where the the illegality and and all the, the the you know the crime and all that kind of stuff is coming from. It's the ones that don't want this to come about to be legal because they're making a ton of money off of it. So yep. that's that's my take on it. But you know, I could be well, that was on that, that was always the discussion was oh if you take if you legalize it that's going to take all the criminal element out of it because it's going to take all the profit margin out of it. You know, it mean, does, but it doesn't. It does, but it doesn't, because the the street hood and the and the you know the the, the Mexicans and, and I'm sorry, it is or South Americans, whatever, coming right. across the border, they they don't want it. Yeah, and so they're 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 giving a lot of people. You know, the, the crime does increase because of that, because they're coming over trying to stuff out the people that are doing it legally. So, mm-hmm. well, what about the the talk? I mean, and you guys. You know, kind of give your thoughts on this, Trey. You want to give your thoughts mm. on this, but the National Institute on Drug Abuse summarized a large, and it was a, a study put on by Duke University, said that people who began smoking marijuana heavily in their teens lost an average of eight points in IQ between 13 and 38, mm. and lost the cognitive abilities. Importantly, the loss of cognitive abilities were not fully restored in those who quit smoking as adults. So it's well, yes, and I'm a dumbass then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, just think how brilliant you could have been. Uh, <laughs> exactly, I could have been a rocket scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, too, I think it has a lot to do with not confusing causation for correlation. I would say that a lot of the demographics that are more that are more geared towards consuming that in the first place probably are on the lower ends. Not not you know this isn't the rule. There's always exceptions to the rule, but I would say that in general, the demographics that would consume marijuana probably are on the lower scale of you know the IQ spectrum to begin with. So it's something that you know if you're already oriented towards smoking you, to towards smoking cannabis, you know you're probably more apt to engage in risky behavior, which is kind of associated with you know less intelligent people. Right. Well, maybe maybe, maybe in a younger generation, but I'm going to tell you, I can name, I mean, like I said, I'm 50 plus. I can name uh, at least four people that I know that are my age that smoke it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and they're very successful people. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, I mean, in, in my age group, which I think we're kind of, I'm, I'm the end of the baby boomers because 63 was the cutoff and that's when I was born. So people my age, 50 to 60, that still smoke it, they're just old hippies. I mean, they're just, but they're, but they're successful people. I mean, they do, they do fine. You know, they don't 
They don't get stoned out all day in their house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They get up, they go to work, they run their businesses. A lot of them are, you know, self-employed people and have businesses, and they come home, they hit a, you know, couple hits off the bong, and they go to bed. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's it's. I just don't see any difference between that and having a martini. I'm sorry, I just don't. Or six martinis yeah. or whatever. I just don't. No, there is nothing. Difference. No, there is no difference. What? Um, I mean, I know there's there's been studies on, you know, gateway drug. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, you know, alcohol may actually be more of a gateway drug than anything else. Um, but tell me this, how, and who know, who may know this? What what led us to this point now, to where marijuana has been banned, but alcohol was reinstated after prohibition? Well, I mean, if you don't mind me taking a few minutes, I mean, I got the, the PBS timeline. I've been doing a little research on this subject just to kind of <laughs> familiarize myself with the with the topic, you know, that we're going to be discussing this week. But oh, oh I bet you have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our resident drug expert our resident. <laughs> no but um from about well this is going off of the pbs frontline uh timeline that i have here in front of me in addition to um watching a very informative youtube video entitled uh that was done by the history channel entitled hooked um illegal drugs and how they become that way mm-hmm. but right now if i'm reading off of the timeline i mean from 18 from the 1800s to 1890s, domestic production of hemp, which is, you know, classified, you know, where it's classified as cannabis. Um, American production of hemp was encouraged by the government in the 17th century for further production of rope, sails, clothing. From what I've um, researched, the Constitution was not written on, on hemp paper, but the Declaration of Independence was. Right. And um, the Constitution was actually written on parchment. So that's why they got to take such good care of it because it's very brittle at this point. But um, the Declaration of Independence was written on hemp paper. Um, when you go roll the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> dude, you ever notice how like the money's green, dude? Like, <laughs> but um, in the um, as for domestic usage, it was used mostly for production and whatnot. It wasn't. It was more of a fad for you know for smoking it as an intoxicant. In in the East, which is considered you know Europe and Asia and whatnot, it was more that it was more popular. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte, whenever he was conquering most of Europe and whatnot, he actually is what brought. He's actually his him and his soldiers are the ones that kind of introduced smoking cannabis into the uh, into the social norm of Europe. They brought it back from as a spoil of war from um, from you know from some of the countries that they invaded. And they brought it back to uh, France, so it became quite popular. And then, as for domestic use here in the U.S., in 1876, um, a sultan from Turkey basically brought it in. They were having a world expo. It was the 100th anniversary of uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And they brought it in, and there was a world expo in uh, Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So they had, you know, they had... They were kind of showing off what, you know, modern America looks like. You know, there were things like the typewriter was being shown off, or as it was considered back then, the personal printing press. Um, and there was a sultan from Turkey that basically came in, and he brought a, as they phrased it in the uh, YouTube video, 
an exotic and rare treat with him, which was um, these marijuana, which were these cannabis cigarettes. So he kind of introduced smoking cannabis into the uh, social consciousness, if you will, of of a uh, of the U.S. So they actually said that that was um, when he brought it in, he would be considered with having the the U.S.'s first uh, smoke session because there were multiple members that uh, there were multiple members that engaged with him, and they uh, you know they sat in a room and they all smoked. And that, that it was the largest pot party that they have had up until Woodstock in 1969. <laughs> it was so he kind of introduced it, and uh, once and once they kind of got a taste of it, um, a lot of the entrepreneurs in the north they started spreading these Turkish smoke shops around, um, like around you know a lot of the large metropolises. They started doing it in Pennsylvania or in uh, in Pittsburgh. They started doing it in New York, and it kind of spread a little bit. And um, that's kind of how it got introduced here as, a, you know, it was already introduced in the in terms of production, but that's kind of how it got introduced in terms of smoking it for, you know, its intoxicating right. characteristics. And also at the 1876 World's Fair, they, that was the first Puff Puff Pass introduced. Don't poke art the weed, dude. <laughs> they sold, but, but you know what? That was also the year that they sold more funnel cakes than any year ever. <laughs> <laughs> funnel cakes. Gotta love them. Yeah. So, I mean, well, tell me this, though. Think about the difference of marijuana they used back then, though. I think that's a large concern nowadays, too, though, is the the potency of the strain that they had back then probably was just like whatever you could grow, whereas now they've pretty much perfected growing different strains, more potent strains that that could lead well, to more dangerous things, a higher level of THC. I mean, well, they, they, have, they have the hydroponic stuff too now. They have the mm-hmm. hydroponic stuff that's just killer. I mean, it's like Christmas yeah. tree buds. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I mean... There is different strains and everything, and then, but the thing is, my big issue is they have such a huge problem with it being used for medical. Okay, mm-hmm. it's so different. Every every freaking opiate that you take when you get any kind of surgery and they give you drugs is made from poppies. I mean, it's it's all opiates. It's all you know. I mean, it can be used for good, just like that can. So, right. You know. I mean. I'm well, before we prohibited it, I mean, it was used for up to about 5,000 years in in terms of, you know, medicine and whatnot. I mean, it's got a whole host of medicinal purposes that mm-hmm. were, that were previous, you know, that people took it for back in the day. I mean, it was mixed in with everything. I mean, even as I was telling Drayton earlier today, and it was Queen Victoria, not Queen Elizabeth, so I apologize okay. for that mistake. But Queen, uh, Queen Victoria of England, I mean, she took it for menstrual cramps. So, I mean, even, yeah, well, the, you know, even the dignitaries and whatnot were, you know, were consuming it for medicinal purposes. So, obviously, I mean, there are medical purposes in which it's, in which it's able to be used. Well, I, my, my big issue is they're so worried about pot. Why don't you worry more about the um, prescription drugs that they're handing out to everybody 
been everybody's doctor shopping. I mean, OxyContin and all these different drugs that I'm allergic to, all of it, so I would make an awful uh. drug addict. But, um, <laughs> but so all not, of these so, people, they doctor shop. You know what I'm saying? They they go from yeah. one doctor to the other. And, I mean, that to me is more of a scourge than than pot. I mean, I'm sorry. I just don't see a big issue with it. I just don't. Yeah. And I, I was shocked to read that there's, there's studies are showing now that there's actually uh, cannabis receptors within within the human body. Cannabinoids. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit, uh, Josh? Well, I mean, it's just a naturally occurring. Um, I believe it's associated more with like some type of um, pain mechanism. You know, it's. Um, I think I'm I don't, like I'm not really sure on the specifics behind the science. You know, behind the science of it, but it's a naturally occurring chemical that happens in the uh, that happens in the brain, and I think it's related to pain receptors. So, you know, it's that's why people consume it for specific things. It's supposed to alleviate a lot of, you know, it's supposed to take the place of a lot of painkillers. Well, it does, and it also helps in glaucoma. It re- it reduces the pressure in the eyes Yeah. Um, in glaucoma. It's in, in a lot of people that have cancer do it because it increases the appetite. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it does have a lot of medicinal purposes, and and I've actually I uh, read an article about a, a child that had seizures. This child would have seizures like um, I'm talking like a hundred seizures a day. Yeah. Was a, like a ten year old kid had some kind of disorder. They would have multiple seizures. I mean, literally like a hundred a day. And um, no, the kid doesn't smoke pot, but the doctor was able to extract the THC yeah, into the a pill form. Yeah, or an oral form, whatever. And it reduced this child's seizures to one a month. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, well, are, it, there are, there are, you know, good, um, I mean, it's just like everything in nature. I mean, and, and, yes, our bodies are all chemically designed, and, and, yes, things, certain things. I mean, go out in a cow, in a cow pasture and pick a mushroom. I mean, it's going to give you hallucinations. I mean, there's a lot of things in nature that interact with the chemical makeup of our body. But, you know, if you can use it for good, and not to mention the tax revenue you can get off this stuff, just like they do cigarettes and booze and everything else. Now, where right. I draw the line is, like, is, is heroin and cocaine and meth and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, that, that, that all has medicinal purposes, too, but... That stuff is is wicked. I'm telling you, it it, it destroys lots. It absolutely destroys lots. Right. I, personally, I like to take heroin for a good hangover cure. Now, isn't it heroin is bad? I mean, heroin, methamphetamines, all that stuff is it's just. I mean, it's it's abused. I'm just. Like I said, I don't know anybody that's ever got stoned as hell and got in a car and went to a grocery store and robbed it or a jiffy store. You know, they're just like, hey, you know, they're they're mellow. It's 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 not the same kind of high. It doesn't make you hallucinate and it doesn't make you hear voices to go kill people and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just just kind of mellows you out. It's kind of like Valium, it just kind of mellows you out. You know. But well, yeah, doing a little research on this, I mean, um, we it was discussing illegal drugs of all sorts 
And it actually brought up a good, or not a good, well, I guess it might have been a good point, but um, about Germany. Um, whenever Hitler was coming to power and they were um, establishing, I, I guess, their, bl their blitzkrieg tactics, um, something that the German army was known for was providing their soldiers with amphetamines. They would, uh, they would use injections. They would use uh, pills. And they would actually feed them, and they were um, they were known for just how fast they would charge the battlefield, how um, it, it would suppress it would suppress their uh, hunger, it would suppress um, it would um, increase their metabolism, it would uh, it would lower their their uh, fatigue. So there were multiple reasons that they gave it to them, and I heard they actually said that a lot of um, just hit like Hitler was known for his very emphatic and very um and very and very energetic speeches that he would give and they said that Hitler was actually um injected sometimes up to five times a day with amphetamines yeah. and he and that's why he was attributed with these rousing speeches because he was high as a kite yeah <laughs> yeah there's actually a documentary about um Hitler, called Hitler the junkie and they <laughs> talk about him, all these, all the drugs and meth and everything that he was on. That especially towards the end, because he had to maintain that that feeling. You know, he wanted to feel that that same level, and it just oh, absolutely. You got to you, you got to keep increasing it. And he's probably dealing with a little bit of depression from. <laughs> and, and he was psychotic, so I mean, yeah, he was psychotic. Yeah. I mean, he had a mental illness. So yeah. anybody that can systematically slaughter millions of people, not personally, but have it directed to be done, is is psychotic. I mean, right. So he um, had other issues other than drugs. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a. Uh, we actually had a. I was trying to get a spokesman for a, a company. I won't mention their names since they're not coming on. I don't think, but. Uh, but they're they're building a or growing a particular strain. That's what I was one thing I was referring to earlier is, and and it's kind of like what you said, Laurie, with the uh, they're actually growing cannabis plants that are low in THC but high in in another chemical called uh, cannabidiol or CBD, which is the non psychoactive side of the plant, and it controls seizures seizures for epileptics. Uh, reduces inflammation yes. for Crohn's patients, um, all kinds of stuff like that, and 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 that's the thing that they're able to grow it so it doesn't really give you the the you know a crazy high or anything with the THC, but it's it's producing the the CBD or the like I said the cannabidiol. I don't know exactly how that's said, but anyway, the, the CBD is the the kind of the soothing side of of the of the marijuana. And that's what's kind of helping out all these folks with with seizures and things like that. Um, now, the state of Georgia, by the way, did pass a law. Yeah, they recently did. Yeah, Haley's Hope Act. Um, the law creates a dilemma, though, because you can now possess cannabis oil for your medical condition, but you'll have to purchase it out of state. And when you, as soon as you do that, you'll be breaking the federal law by crossing state lines, bringing it back home. Absolutely. What if you get it? What if you get it mailed to you though? Well, then you would be, I guess, caught for what trafficking an illegal substance across state lines. Yeah. Then what good is the law? 
that kind of <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have to figure some way around it. Uh, it's kind of like that old Mitch Hedberg joke, though. What is it? Uh, my, I hope my the cool thing about my FedEx dealer is or my FedEx driver is my drug dealer, and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> 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 uh, and um and uh marijuana for medical purposes is now elite or is now legal in 23 states and in the um district of columbia mm-hmm. so i mean we're almost up to like half of the states that provide it for medicinal purposes i believe it's what four states now that it's that's it's that it's legal for you know recreational use and and having small amounts of it in your possession right yeah i think it's Four in D.C. maybe? Yeah. 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 I right. think that's right. I can tell you there's probably 60, 70 houses in my neighborhood of those. Probably, and most people are older my age. There's not very many young people in my neighborhood. And I can mm. probably tell you if you went door to door with some jackbooted thugs, um, mm. you could probably find pot in probably uh, 60% of it. But not right. really the young what kids. neighborhood do you live in? <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the young kids, though. It's not really the young kids that are smoking pot. It's the older well, folks. And, and honestly, that's the truth. That's what I've heard is that the crazy-ass places now are, are the senior citizen homes. That they are yeah. they are smoking pot almost every day, that they're doing other drugs. It's like because, you know, they have a nice little bit of money, and they all have are together you know, in one spot, and they all just basically go out and and, and party every day, basically. It's crazy. Well, well it's, it's not even that, though, Dre. It's, it's, uh, it's, um, it alleviates a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. It, it makes makes you feel a little bit better. Trust mm-hmm. me, you will all get there someday when you wake up and you have what I call traveling arthur, which is yeah. uh, arthritis, and you wake right. up and you're like, damn, this hurts. This didn't hurt yesterday. Why doesn't it hurt today? So it's oh, well. they, they 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 do they they use it to alleviate a lot of um, um pain. I don't know that you know yep. let's have a party, but you know it's it, it, yeah. And it replaces a lot you know a lot of the need for other medications as well. You know that are a lot more that have a lot more side effects associated with them. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the doctors in that article said that uh, basically not long after says her mother was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Um, they saw a documentary on how Israeli doctors were treating lung disease with cannabis, which kind of seems counterintuitive. Maybe it's the oil, like you're saying. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, and that's where they found they heard about the cannab- cannab- cannabinoid receptors within the body. Then um, she started, you know, treating her mother with it. She's also seen patients with glaucoma seeing their vision improve, uh, the Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, GI problems, patients on chemotherapy, like you said, uh, lupus and MS uh, patients, um, patients getting off their blood pressure medication, patients who have insomnia, PTSD, depression, and it just, just on and on and on, basically, is that they're just they start them out on a on a low dosage and just kind of work their way up with it and are just seeing great effects of it. That side of it I'm okay with, I, but I don't necessarily know that we need to have the 
recreational. I, I, I'm still. I know. I don't necessarily think it is much as skyrocket usage or anything like that. I can maybe see it if, as long as they regulate it, like you guys are saying. You know, maybe even make it a little bit higher than than alcohol age. I mean, would I don't know if that would be an acceptable thing, or would that create more of a black market for younger people? Um, you know, I I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if like a higher age uh, requirement would do very uh, would be very effective because I mean most of the millennials and the younger folks are the ones who you know are most with it. You know, they're gonna be you know they're gonna be down for that the most because uh, I've got some facts here actually, and it says mm-hmm. here that sixty eight percent. Uh, it's from the Pew Research. It says uh, 68% of millennials support the legalization of marijuana. Uh, Gen X is 52%. The boomers is 50 And then the uh, silent generation before that is 29 So, I mean, you, you know, the younger you get, the more, you know, the more for it they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, I've seen overall the, the kind of the four. It's almost exponential even. What sixty percent, sixty one percent right now? Yeah. yeah. But and you have to think before this, before the whole topic of cannabis and its demonization came into effect. I mean, the American population was consuming cannabis. I mean, I'm not sure if they were knowingly consuming cannabis, but they were consuming cannabis in their in a lot of their medicine. I mean, um, 1906, the the Pure Food and Drug Act, they required labeling of cannabis contained in any um, over-the-counter remedies. So you have to think, I mean, since since the beginning of the country to about 1906, they were already consuming medicines that were, you know, that were full of cannabis. Right. Well, look at, look at Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. When Coca-Cola first started out, it had cocaine in it. Right. It was just like the greatest drink ever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I mean, that's why it's called Coca-Cola. I mean, right. I think the only way you're going to change this is to change the perception. Mm -hmm. And that's a very hard thing to do. And what's really funny is most of the people that are like, like, okay, my mother is 75 years old. She mm-hmm. wouldn't give a damn if I sat out here and smoked a joint every day. She doesn't care. She's like, it's a nerve. It's mm-hmm. natural. I don't care. No big deal. It, it, it's, it's the one, it really pretty much boils down to the people that want to control your life, and we know who they are, and they want to tell you how to live your life. They're going to mm-hmm. sit in their bathroom and smoke a joint, but they don't want you to be able to do it. So that's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah. And a lot of the demonization, I mean, it's it's grounded in a lot of um, – I mean, you got to know the history behind it, but it's grounded in a lot of racist rhetoric because, um, I mean, a lot of it became, you know, whenever the Mexican Revolution happened in about, I think it was 1910, um, a lot of the Mexican population started be beginning to flow into the U.S. Um, 1920s, you know, before the Great Depression – their labor was needed quite a bit, you know, for harvesting, you know, vegetables and whatnot in different kinds of fields. But once the Great Depression hit, there was a large population of of Mexican immigrants that were beginning to, you know, get in line at the soup lines and whatnot. So they were beginning to become kind of a quote unquote burden to the uh, to the American population. 
so a lot of the states in the Southwest, they started beginning campaigns trying to make marijuana illegal, even though it was federally legal in the U.S., a lot of the southwestern states started getting together trying to demonize marijuana and trying to associate it with um, a rise in, Mexi- you know, um, violent acts and trying to, to attribute it a lot to violent acts happening because Mexican immigrants and uh, blacks were also associated with it. And they tried to demonize it in the fact that a lot of minority populations were committing these vile and violent acts under the influence of marijuana. So they were trying to almost, um, you know, drive drive a lot of the Mexican populations and minority populations out of the, you know, U.S. and trying to demonize them, trying to criminalize them just for the um, simple fact that they were consuming them. And it was, and they, they spread the propaganda that, you know, they were doing it under the influence of marijuana and without the marijuana that they would otherwise not be committing these acts, which is, I mean, blatantly false. Well, that, and it honestly, seemed to really take, get – it wasn't really a, a widely used drug, like you said, it was, but when it was used was by – in the in the jazz clubs, by the by the black yeah. jazz players, you know? I mean, that's kind of really where it – maybe it started with the Mexican, you know, you know, like you were saying earlier with the Mexican folks coming over, but that's where it kind of seemed to take prominence where the jazz musicians and things like that would just kind of – do it in, in, in the clubs and while they were playing music and everything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, YouTube video that I was mentioning, the uh, History Channel hooked, um, hooked, you know, illegal drugs and how they became that way. I mean, they attributed to, because of um, the 18th Amendment, which basically was the beginning of Prohibition, that was passed in 1919. The whole time that um, Prohibition was occurring, marijuana was a legal substance. So whenever... Prohibition started cracking down in places like you said, like New Orleans and other, uh, you know, other places of the jazz scene in in Louisiana. Um, they started substituting. They started substituting marijuana for for alcohol because it wasn't as freely available. So right. yeah, like you said, they started. You know, it started occurring more and more in jazz clubs. And then with the passing of the Twenty First Amendment and the you know the abolishment of the prohibition on alcohol the federal agencies, they kind of shifted their aim from prohibiting alcohol to switching over to narcotics in general. So it's like they kind of, so it's kind of like they needed to instate another prohibition, but, you know, to kind of, to kind of help with their influence. And, you know, I'm sure they're, they're, uh, to increase their budgets and whatnot for, you know, criminal enforcement. Right. Well, let's kind of transition over to, would you guys, I mean, it sounds like, I think most of us, at the very least, the, the medicinal side of it, you know, I think everybody's kind of for it, if nothing else. Um, uh, yeah, so it kind of seems um, like the WD-40 of the drug world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still, you know, have, have some slight reservations, like I said, even though I don't necessarily think. I think it's just kind of preconceived notions that I have um, kind of built in over years that I, you know, kind of just kind of hesitant to just freely make it everything legal. Um, but I think overall, I, I, maybe they could slowly instate, reinstate legalization of, of marijuana. I don't know. What do you, would that kind of be, I think that would be kind of a fair thing to do, not necessarily just openly make everything legal, just kind of maybe slowly do it and work it out that way. 
but what about the chance of, of taking just legalizing every pretty much all drugs, just make everything open, leaving it up to the discretion. Le- tax tax everything, bring it in. Would it would would there be opposition to that? Oh yeah. I mean, personally, I wouldn't have a problem with it because, I mean, there's a there's a perfectly good example of what happens when you de- do decriminalize drugs, and it happened in Portugal. Portugal, 14 years ago, in 2001, they decriminalized drugs of all type, weed, cocaine, heroin, everything. And um, according to an article in The Independent, it's a U.K. newspaper, um, among Portuguese adults, there there are three overdose overdose death deaths for every one million citizens. Um comparable yeah, but, numbers in other countries range from one point two per million in the Netherlands to forty four point six in the UK. And these are countries that have, you know, tough drug laws while Portugal mm-hmm. has legalized everything and they've they have three drug do, drug overdoses for every one million. Yeah, but do you want your next door neighbor on uh, crystal meth and heroin and I mean that's my thing. Uh, I mean, as long yeah. as they don't commit any kind of criminal acts, and you know, that, those, I don't have a problem with drugs, it. But those drugs are totally, totally different, and they totally affect a person differently than marijuana does. More of a mind altering, or, or I totally disagree on that. I totally disagree on that. You think it's more of a mind-altering type? Situation? Yes, absolutely. I know it is. Yeah. You put yeah, but if they're the- doing it in the comfort of their own home and don't pose yeah. any kind of physical threat to me per okay. se, I don't see any kind of problem with it because the but same could be said for marijuana. So they're in the comfort of their own home and they do a little drop of PCP or whatever, and then they look like store and say, "She's doing something to my house. I got to kill her." I'm telling you, it's it's totally different. It's a totally different kind of drug. It's a totally Mm. different drug. Oh, I agree. It's a totally different kind of drug, but that's where you draw the line is because they have committed a criminal act. You know, they've they've you know they committed arson to your property, or they've endangered your life by firing you know firearms towards your you know property because they're paranoid. I mean, that's kind of where you know that's kind of where the criminality of it comes in is they have done something to violate your property. They've done something to agree. endanger your life. Well, but as for them consuming the drugs in the first place, as long as they do it in their own home, I don't see any reason to criminalize the act of ingestion itself. Well, the I problem with that is, though, I, John, agree. I think you, there's only so much, you know, the police and, and the law enforcement can only get to your house so quickly. You know, That's why I'm in favor of the Second Amendment, my man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm I'm not for all that. I'm not. I mean, pot is no different than than booze to me and I've seen enough drunks to know that, you know, actually pot's better than than booze because people get mean on booze. Um, Oh yeah. I I think um, you know, I don't have a problem with pot. That's where I draw the line. I, Mm -hmm. I do I do really feel like the rest of that needs to be controlled. Sorry. That's my All right. There's a, you know, marijuana is considered a gateway drug to be used, but do you guys, do you guys see the legalization of marijuana being a 
gateway drug to legalization of other drugs. I mean, that, that's the thing. Once you, once everybody gets, has marijuana legalized, then the cocaine faction, <laughs> the cocaine lobby is going to to start wanting to get well, to I mean, legalized and everything else. On the flip side of that, they say legalizing gay marriage is opening it up to you can marry your sister, you can marry the dog, you can, you know, you can, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. I yeah, mean, absolutely. Everything is a slippery slope. I mean, right. absolutely. Right. But you can't, you can't save the world and you can't, you can't make everything perfect for everybody. You can't you can't address every situation that may ever come about because of this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. You just try to do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just yeah. tough tough toenails for if it's not your thing that gets approved, right? Right. Exactly. Well and two, whenever you consider these issues you have to you have to figure out which which perspective you're arguing for them for. If you're doing it on an ethical print, you know, if you're doing it from an ethical standpoint, there's a different argument that you would make for its legalization than say you would if you were arguing for its legalization from a public, from a public health policy standpoint. So it's one of these things to where just, you know, the argument changes for the type of perspective you're taking when you're arguing for legalization. That's true, mm-hmm. but I just think some drugs are more harmful than others as far as not harmful for the person that's ingesting them, harmful for mm-hmm. those around them. That's my thing. Like I said, uh, I don't want to get stoned as hell and go out and commit any awful crime. I mean, my God, you're used to doing 25 miles an hour because you're so freaking paranoid that somebody's going to pull you over, you know? I mean, I just, I, I don't have a problem with pot. I really don't. I don't have a problem with it. The other stuff, it, it, it changes people's personalities and it and it turns them into psychopaths, and and that's scary to me. That's very scary to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I think people do respond. Obviously, people respond much differently on, you know, meth or or, you know, coke or LSD or. You know, different drugs affect people differently, and, and you know, maybe a heroin type thing. You know, that's more of a down type drug could could be considered. You know, more easily yeah, than it like a, a stimulant drug, yeah. but um, it's kind of a thing that kind of you know is going to pretty much knock you out and and down you out basically. Um, I don't know necessarily that it should be legal, though, is the only problem. And and typically I, I am for, you know, opening up the market and everything else, but I, I do think you have to take the safety of, of society as a whole, you know. One, two, when you're doing a cost assessment on the situation. You know, no, go ahead. Legal, people are going to go out, you know, they're going to feel more comfortable to go out after they take these kind of, drugs and everything as well, too. Mm-hmm. Also, when you're well, considering the cost behind it, you have to consider which one's more damaging to someone, the consumption of an illegal narcotic or the or the criminal record that entails with them being incarcerated for it, which thus, you know, which scars their record, which leads to them kind of being stuck in an endless cycle of not being able to 
you know, procure a decent career and a decent life for themselves. So thus, it kind of thrusts them back into that environment. They can never escape that environment because it's a criminal environment. They got caught one time with it, and now because that mark is on their record, it scars them for life, so they kind of almost can't leave that environment anymore. So you almost have to you, – you, you, like you have to consider which one's more damaging to the individual as well. Because, um, cause, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, there's a lot of – there's a lot of – well, now whenever you get a job, it used to not be the case, but now when you get a job, it's almost mandatory for you to receive some type of background check. And, I mean, any kind of mark against you is considered almost an application killer. You're, you know, if an HR director is looking at your application and he and he has to filter through who's going on to the next round and who's not – I mean, from what I've been told in college, I mean, one of the first things they do is those who fail the background check aren't really considered. They're thrown, you know, their applications are thrown into the trash can. So when you're considering criminalization, you have to consider if that is, you know, that's a, you know, that's an unintended consequence. I mean, these people are stuck in this environment, which they can't escape because they were caught, what, one time with, with in possession of a dime bag, and it scars their, it scars their, you know, their life for the rest of their life. Do you, do you think legalization should be an individual concern or a societal concern? Uh, I'm talking hard. I mean both. You all, I mean you got to consider it from both angles. But I mean for the individual, I'll consider marring their record with a you know criminal charge for you know possession of a simple herb a much more damning consequence than than a you know them developing. Uh, you know, the munchies down the road or, you know, just them, you know, consuming it for themselves. I mean, there might be health consequences, but if we're talking about society, I think society is much worse off with denigrating a demographic, you know, a whole population of people simply because they have been caught, you know, in possession or consumption or under the influence of a, of a specific drug. Because, I mean, to me, individually, I could care less. If somebody wants to make a decision on their own and that's all – that's all it affects is that individual person, then that's up to them. But whenever they get on get on these harder drugs, I'm not talking about marijuana or anything right now. But yeah, yeah. Like, but when you get on crack or or meth or anything like that, it's kind of like, you know, you you don't you're not in your obviously not in your right mind. I mean, and you're going to go out and and possibly injure or or have major issues to someone else. Well, I mean, two, you got to consider the societal issue of your tax money is going to enforce, prosecute, and lock up these individuals as well. So it does have societal applications in that aspect because mm-hmm. the more you try to enforce the law, the more you try to prosecute these people, and the longer you lock them up for, the more tax money that you have to extract from the general population to achieve those means. So, you know, I mean, when you consider criminalization, there's you know, there's ancillary effects like you're bringing down the amount of money required to run the justice system. You're bringing down the amount of money needed to run the, you know, the jail system and the, you know, you need less guards because there's less individuals. I mean, they say that now, I mean, from what I've read, I'm not sure how true the statistic is, but the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, but yet we have 25% of its, you know, its, of its prisoners. And a and the and a majority of those individuals are in there serving for nonviolent drug offenses. Right. 
So this is not only scarring, like I said earlier, these people's records and leading them to less productivity down the road because they can't get a good job, but it's also leading to higher taxes for everyone else because these people have been criminalized and because the drug is illegal. And so you have to spend all this, so you have to spend a lot more money than you otherwise would to keep up with enforcement, prosecution, and incarceration. Right. I wonder how many are in prison just because of marijuana. I mean, I'm sure there's studies, but I haven't, I didn't, I didn't look it up to be honest. But I mean, well, if I remember right, I mean, a large, per, I mean, marijuana is is the largest percentage of drug use. If I remember correctly, it's somewhere upwards of a seventy-five percent of of a drug, you know, users are consuming strictly marijuana. The other, you know, the other twenty-five to twenty percent, those are, you know, like you said, the hardcore drug users. Those are the crank, the the meth, the crack, the cocaine right. users. I mean, that yeah. includes everything, and I, and it also and it also includes legal but illegally obtained pharmaceuticals as well. Right. That was my point earlier, though, was about legalizing all drugs. That was my point earlier because those drugs do make you do things you wouldn't normally do because you would you would go and rob banks and what have you just so you can get – Twelve hundred bucks, so you can buy your next fix. Mm-hmm. They make you do things. People that smoke pot don't do that. That was kind of my point earlier when you were both talking about legalizing all drugs. Mm-hmm. That was my point. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious if these people would be inclined to commit those acts, regardless of whether or not they are doing it for that. I mean, they might be, you know, they might be robbing a, you know, they might be robbing a local convenience store simply because they can't afford to put food on the table. In a lot of cases, you are totally correct. People are doing it to support their drug habit, but in a lot of cases as well, they're doing it to, you know, sustain other habits or or to sustain a certain lifestyle or to, you know, not get a legal job because there's a lot, you know, it's a lot, you know, it's a, it's a quick fix. I mean, they can go, Instead of working the whole month to acquire twelve hundred dollars, they can go rob the local convenience store and get twelve hundred dollars in, you know, two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And from speaking from personal experience, um, I can tell you, um, these people can have all the family support in the world. They can they can uh have someone, you know, helping them out in every way. It's a cycle with them. They um a lot of them do their time, get out, want to make a good life. They've learned so much, and they're all Christian, and they're all this, and they're all that. And then they get out, and you try to help them, and you try to make their lives better, and then they get back on the ship, and and that's basically what happens. They will do whatever they have to do to get whatever whatever kind of money they can get to get their next fix. And that's that's why I'm against legalizing all the rest of those drugs, because mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've seen it happen repeatedly, and um, it it truly is. Those drugs are totally different. They're totally different. They're mind altering. They they they. There's like they totally consume a person. There's nothing they want more than that next fix, and they will do whatever they have to do to get it. And that means robbing a bank. That means going next door, killing my neighbor. That means whatever. And mm-hmm. that's my issue with that. The pot is totally different. Pot is 
it's it's just it's not it's not even in the same league. They're the same. They're they're totally different kinds of um, reactions in a person. And um, people don't go and 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 rob jiffy stores and stuff like that to get a bag of pot. They just don't. Now now they may go whore themselves or whatever, but they don't they don't they don't do that. It just it doesn't right. work that way. Well, and that's kind of you know. I don't know, it's hard to say how people would react with, with legalization of, of all things. I mean, I think the people are, like I said earlier, I think everybody that's already doing drugs, just because it's illegal, that's not stopping them. And, and, and B, I think a lot of people, most people, in fact, I think, aren't doing drugs, those drugs just because they're illegal, you know? Well, yeah. it's like gun laws. It's like gun laws. You can you can pass all the laws you want in the world. If somebody really wants a gun, they can get a gun. If they if they have an evil intention, they want to do something bad, and they want a gun, they can they can get one. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not going to change the world through legislation, right. and you can't legislate morality. Just because you you know you have some moral conviction about it doesn't mean it's going to change anything. You can't. So, I mean, I don't know. Anyways, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of it comes down to, as well, like you said, I mean, the environment in which the consumers are taking place in. I mean, with, I mean, currently we're living through the age of information with the, you know, I mean, we're literally the sum total of civilization's knowledge is available at our fingertips. I mean, you know, in the 1920s, that kind of information regarding the health consequences, the societal implications, the, you know, the demonization, it wasn't, it wasn't available and you weren't able to, you know, access, you know, if you're considering doing an illegal substance nowadays, you can just, I mean, granted it's on your search history forever, but you can Google, you know, the adverse reactions, what to expect. You can kind of research your drug of choice before you are to partake it. I mean, that's not going to stop the, you know, the, you know, the teenager at a party who's getting peer pressured into it because he's not going to be able to whip out his phone and research the subject. But I mean, for people that are, you know, addicts or they're, you know, they're starting to consume at a higher level, they can now access, you know, these information and they can access, you know, studies that kind of show whether or not this has long-term health effects, long-term mental effects, and consequences. So, I mean, this is one of these things to where, you know, the environment has a lot to say to it as well because people people know now, you know. It's like, one of, it's like smoking back in, you know, it's like smoking tobacco back in the day. I mean, there was, pro, you know, there was tobacco, there was the tobacco industry, they were issuing propaganda um, that almost, said that, you know, that implied that there were no health implications behind smoking, and then study after study became coming out that showed that there were long-term, long-term health consequences associated with, you know, smoking tobacco, smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just one of these things to where, I mean, the information is out there for people to research and do on their own and, you know, come to their own conclusions whether or not they would be, you know, comfortable consuming certain types of drugs. Well, that leads to another couple yeah. things, though, is if... if marijuana was to be legalized, you know, wouldn't there be a lot of 
I mean, I, I think there's still going to be a lot of, of, like we said earlier, secondary health issues or health problems because of just ingesting the, the smoke itself if you're smoking marijuana. Absolutely. You know, respiratory problems through your lung problems, things like that. Now, that also leads to, you know, the use of the, the oils and the vaping and stuff and things like that, which could kind of uh, eliminate that issue. But mm-hmm. what are we going to do if it's legalized? Is there going to be a, I mean, is it going to be, are they going to be lumped in with the with the smokers, with the tobacco smokers right now who are kind of ostracized and, and demonized as it is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what yeah, that's what I was talking about. Whenever you're arguing for from a per, you know from a certain perspective, because when you're trying to when you're trying to rationalize the legalization of marijuana from a public health policy perspective, whenever you do legalize something of this nature, you are probably, I mean, in all actuality, going to be increasing public health costs. I mean, there's like you said, there's going to be there's going to be ancillary consequences. There's going to be you know probably a increase in like you in in lung disease and respiratory illness and respiratory you know problems but like you also said Drayton there's I mean there's people there if you legalize it there's going to be a range of options now available to you that instead of just smoking it you know once 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 you legalize it the free market's going to take is going to take that legalization and they're going to start offering a whole host of alternatives to smoking I mean, currently, you know, instead of people smoking now, you know, taking a joint paper and rolling up, you know, some some weed. Now there's things like vaporizers that involve right. no, com- you know, that involve no combustion, and that's where a lot of the, you know, carcinogens that are involved with cigarettes and whatnot. That's where they occur is when you actually light up the cigarette and start burning it. That's where right. a lot of the carcinogens come from. But when you're vaporizing it, it has it still has irritability issues, and it still has, I mean, the the, the residue involved. That still has, you know, health consequences, but it, it has a much lower rate of carcinogens. And the and the other options, the oils. I mean, there's there's uh there's like lollipops, you know, to this, yeah. you know, there's like butters. There's, I mean, for God's sake, there's even lotions. There's like aromatherapy when it yeah. comes to this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, and I don't think there's been any proven long-term effects when it comes to just THC. But, yeah, the consumption of or ingesting smoke into your lungs is always going to have adverse effects. Right. The whole edibles market is is just as big, if not bigger now, than, than the, the light-up market, I guess you could say. I don't know. Yeah, and you're able to control your dosage. I mean, you're able to, you know, I mean, granted, you might not be the most well-versed on the dosage, but you're able to control the amount that you're consuming rather than just rolling it into a joint paper. Well, now, see, I've also heard that the edibles, it's harder to tell when it's going to kick in, too. Oh, uh, yeah, I can understand that. So people are, like, taking it and it hasn't kicked in for, you don't know if it's going to kick in in 20 minutes or an hour and a half. So they'll take more and more because they're waiting on, on it to hit. Yeah. And then and that that can lead to problems. That could lead to, to your, you know, the overdosage and things like that that we were talking about earlier, possibly. Well, that just harkens back to my, you know, to my previous point that, you know, you I mean, with the Internet available now in the age of information, I mean, you can do your research and you can, I mean, before you choose to ingest that drug, I mean, the option is now available to you to do your research and understand what kind of, well, what kind of situation you're getting yourself in. Right. Yeah, there's been multiple people that that now like they'll you know they'll they'll consume some type of brownie or other type of edible, and an hour later they will be calling the you know they'll be calling nine one one trying to get a trip to the ER because they think they're dying. 
Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have that instantaneous effect that smoking does. Right, exactly. Um, you know, that was another thing too. Now, now they, it does it does relate to the to burning it and smoking it itself. This gives a whole new definition to the secondhand smoke. If you're, if they do legalize. Oh, please don't do that! Please don't do that. There, there is no secondhand smoke. That's a bunch of bullshit. I'm sorry. Contact, contact high. <laughs> Have you ever had a contact high? Well, I don't, I don't hang around such degenerates that smoke. Uh, well, he's not I, hanging around in your neighborhood. <laughs> I've people that smoke pot. Hell, and I wrote through your neighborhood. I've never had a contact high. I've never had a contact high. I've never had a bunch of crap that's ever come out down the pipe. There is no such thing as contact high. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Where's the, uh, you do a study on that or? <laughs> no, well, I mean, if you want to call it a uh, first-hand you know, experience, uh, yeah, it's a study. It, it's never happened. Just, right. I don't smoke it, but I, I'm around a ton of people that do, and I've never had a contact high ever. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Star. Like, I think that it can show up as, like, I think it can't, like, if you were to take a drug test, and you have been around someone who has smoked, I think it can show up, but as I, for it acquiring the same kind of, you know, like contact high, the same kind of effects that you would as if you were, you know, to consume it firsthand, I don't think, yeah, that that effect I, I is near. I doubt it. I so seriously doubt that. I really do. Mm-hmm. I so seriously doubt that you can, that it's going to It's like eating a poppy seed muffin, you know? I mean... Hey, that causes hey that causes false positives all the time. Um, I mean, not all the time. I think they've become a little bit better with their drug testing methods, but that used to be a common occurrence: people consuming poppy seed and failing drug tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for God's sake, what well, wasn't uh wasn't it an episode of Seinfeld where oh, yeah. where Elaine was? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, personally, I'm still not even I'm not even sold on the whole like you said, the, the secondhand smoke or uh, the carcinogen factor of secondhand tobacco, to be honest. so I, I, I don't know. Maybe it is true, but I just, I, you know, I don't know. I don't believe it. I really don't believe it. I just don't. Oh, I agree. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not 100% sold on, on that whole theory either. I know I they mean, say there's all kinds of evidence in studies and stuff like that, but I, I honestly think it's more of a usage of it that they use to demonize the cigarettes and tobacco itself. I mean, would I, if I had a child in the car or somebody that didn't smoke, or what, would I fire one up? No, I would not. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's, come on. I mean, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's not a consideration. It's a right. little too ridiculous, but. Right. So and, can, and can, I change, like, can I change the subject? Yeah. Hey well, now, this I'm isn't the hey, this isn't the baby boomer slash X Y Z podcast. <laughs> I'm just curious if you guys watched the debates on Thursday. You know we did. You know we did. So, in your opinions, who do you think did well on the happy hour debate, and who do you think did well on the, you know, eight fifty debate? Uh, Fiorina, I think, was the Runaway winner, winner earlier. From from everything I saw. Um, yeah, I didn't actually watch the 5 p.m. debate. 
I watched. I I caught like the last half of it, you know, because I I didn't get home till a little bit after. But um, I think you know. And then the second one. Let's see. I actually wrote down some stuff on it, but I think I I, I think I had uh, Rubio. Hold on a second. Let me pull it up. What I wrote down. Um, if anybody has their thoughts, then feel free to go ahead. I personally cannot see how Trump came out of that debate with either the same rate, with either the same polling numbers, or higher, because his answers were so unintelligible on a lot of subjects that he was asked that it just blows my mind that anybody would consider him a, a front runner after that first debate. I mean, he was. I mean, from the first question, he was already hedging his bet, which is one of the reasons that Rand Paul called him out. I mean, he was already hedging his bets that if he didn't win the GOP debate, that he would, um, you know, that he would consider running for a third party. Right. And that just that just blows my mind. Yeah, I had uh, Rubio, Kasich, and, and Christie. I thought all did probably top three. And then. Uh, I thought Rand kind of. I, I think he Rand, hit his, Rand hit his target. Paul whines the entire time. He whines like <laughs> a Don't baby. you do it. Don't you. Don't you <laughs> start it on Rand. No, That's wait, my boy wait. now. I like Rand Paul, but he whined the entire. He did not come across as strong. He came across as a whiner to me, and I like him. He irritated me. But, but in what way, heart. if you don't mind me asking, I mean, what do what would you consider him whining on? He just it just it was just the way that he responded to everything. It was kinda like I don't know, he just sounded like a whiny little baby to me. It just irritated me and I like him normally. I usually like him a lot. But he mm. irritated me. Um I felt like Marco Rubio did a great job. I think Ted Cruz did a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was the other guy I thought did okay. Uh, I I was so disappointed in Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, I, but he I, was my guy. He was my guy until he opened his mouth again. But that, and, that, and, <laughs> and he attacked Megan Kelly when all she did was tell him what he said. And you know he he's he's a little too um, nutsy for me now. I mean he but, he kind of pushed me the other direction. I thought Carly Fear what her what's her name Fiorina what yeah. I thought she did pretty. I thought she did awesome, but I'm going to be honest with you. As a woman, I don't want a woman president. <laughs> I, I I don't. I don't feel yeah. safe with it. I just don't. I I want. I want George W. And I thought. Um, I thought Jeb kind of looked like he was scared to death. Jeb yeah. looked like he was scared to death the whole time. I thought I don't think he really wants it. I don't think he really wants to be president. I think he's doing it because it's an obligation. I felt like Walker and Jeb just kind of treaded water at best, to be honest. I mean, and Kasich. I like. I like. Oh, I like I like Kasich, I like Kasich, I Kasich he did a good and he job. sat there and just. I love Kasich, but he sat there and he just propped up, you know, um, Donald Trump. It's almost like he's looking for a freaking vice president position. I don't know. I I really um, I was kind of disappointed in the whole thing. Personally. But I but remember back when we when our first podcast together, Trump did exactly what I thought he would do. 
Remember, I said yeah. he would he would either he would have to become off presidential, but I I felt like he would come across and say, you know, oh you're stupid, and and he was going to be flamboyant mm-hmm. and and bombastic about everything. And, talk and that's about exactly how, how he came off, in my opinion. How great he is and what great things he's do, done and going to do. And you're stupid if you don't agree. And yeah, that's but see, what he pro- the problem with that is we have a narcissistic son of a bitch in the White House right now. I really don't right. want another one. Right. I want somebody that cares about this country. I don't want somebody that just, you know, I want to be right. And I want to, you know, I, I just... Really, am not. I was not. He kind of showed his true colors to me, and and I don't know his his poll numbers really didn't take a big hit for it, but no, no, which and amazes I, I me. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a political thing though. I really don't. I, I think no, it's a narcissistic thing. It's I mean I mean his numbers. I'll show you. I can do it. Yeah, but I think people people know the name. People have seen him for years on on Apprentice. They've seen him lead, quote unquote, on Apprentice. They've seen him be a business leader, make a lot of money, and that's what America and and society in general, especially non politically savvy society, respects. They respect money and they respect um, arrogance. I guess you could say. You know, no, I say I not. Yeah, I say non-political correctness. Exactly. It's 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 more. I'm being truthful. It's like you and I talk. It's like but that, it's how but, we but, talk. And but and but if you don't mind me cutting in, I mean that's the reason that it blows my mind because um, after the debate, uh, there was a Washington Post article that came out, and he was found lying whenever he said that he um that he funded most of the candidates on the stage. Other than Jeb Bush, which he contributed $500 to, he hasn't contributed to anyone else's on stage. And that was one of the things Rand Paul, you know, that he called out Rand Paul on, that he um, that he that, that he gave that he gave uh, Rand Paul money when he never did. But when people are watching that debate, 90 to 95 percent of them are not going to go back and do any research to find out if he was actually telling the truth. It sounded good in a little five-second soundbite of him like laying into Paul's ass. And like you know, coming up with a snarky you know comeback, but he lied. So he didn't. He didn't donate. He didn't donate any money to Cam. You know, to Paul's campaign. He didn't finance him in any way. I think he financed maybe a um, one of his ophthalmologist um, endeavors. I think it might have been like some type of uh, like South American crusade or something to that effect. But as for his political career, he's never donated to Paul. But he said that he did. And it just shows you that, I mean, in the five-second soundbite era that we live, that people ate it up. People enjoyed hearing him, you know, come up with a little snarky remark and put in saying, quote-unquote, put Rand Paul in his place. When it's, And in all actuality, he never did, and he lied on a national platform. And it just blows well, my mind that people, that people just can't take that into consideration. The problem is, is all these guys, did you notice, did you hear any of them – Dispute him saying that? I no, mean, I did not. Those guys have no idea because they bring in so much money anyway. Even Huckabee, who they say is is struggling bringing in money, he's brought over in over like two or three million dollars already, and he's he and he's struggling according to experts. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, so they don't yeah. know. They don't know I, what who's who's contributing money to them. I'm I'm going to make a prediction now, and you can play this back months from now. But I'm going to tell you who the nominee is going to be. It's going to be Jeb Bush. God, I hope not. I hope not. It's going to be. Mm. I'm telling you right now, it will be Jeb Bush. Um, the reason being, it will probably be Jeb Bush as the nominee. Probably uh, either Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio. Probably Ted Cruz as the uh, vice president. That's that's what I, that's my prediction now. And the reason yeah, I'm that thinking I that, that, that it, you heard it here first. Well, no. So <laughs> the reason that I say that is because um, Bush is comfortable. He's got a certain comfort level about him that we can relate to. We went through 9/11 with his brother. We trust that family. We feel good about that family. And what? the powers that be are not going to let – it's not going to be Donald Trump. I'm just going to tell you right now. It's not going to be Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump is so freaking mobbed up. It's ridiculous. Um, he is. I mean, he is. And I know he speaks the truth, and I appreciate that. It's actually refreshing. Nobody owns him. Nobody. He doesn't owe anybody. Um, it, it's refreshing, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be Jeb Bush. It's still going to be the old political mis- machine. It's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be. Telling you, but that, get that's ready, why... buckle your seatbelt, because that's what's going to be. It's going to be Jeb Bush and either Marco Rubio, which I don't think. Um, I think it's going to be Ted Cruz because he needs well, Texas. He needs. Well, um, I could see. Well, I could see as a vice president co- or candidate, I could see them bringing in a quote-unquote um, minority candidate, you know, to kind of attract more of a, you know, to try to to try to try increase their appeal across the board. So, yeah, like you said, I could see a Marco Rubio or I could see Carly Fifiorina, um coming in and um, uh, uh, coming in to happen. be the VP. That's not because, you know, they – well, I could just see it from again. a political standpoint because of them trying to broaden their appeal across the board. It's not going to be Carly, and the reason why is because the whole fiasco with um, John McCain and Sarah Palin, it's not going to be that again because it's too much like the last time. It's not, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be. It's going to be probably Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush. That's kind of what I think. And, um, I, I mean, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I'll vote for my dog over anybody else that the Republicans have or the, the Democrats have. I don't right. care. It doesn't matter to me. I'll vote for whoever. Um, Hillary uh, Clinton, I really don't even think is going to get the nomination. I really don't. I don't think she's going to get the nomination. I don't know who the hell they're going to pull out of their ass, but they're going to pull somebody out. But it's not yeah. going to be her. It's not going to I be mean, her. You, have, have y'all seen how the uh... – how the left and the progressive movement is kind of uh, infighting at the moment. Have you seen the recent uh, news that came out with the Bernie Sanders rally and the uh, and the Black Lives Matter protesters coming up on stage and undercutting him and you know kind yeah. of putting his feet to the fire on a lot of uh, on a lot of the issues when it comes to that kind of you know when it comes to those issues. I'm not I sure if y'all saw that recently. I don't think they put his feet to the fire as much as they just made morons of themselves by going against probably someone who. If they actually listen to the man, would probably be on their side in their minds. If they actually listen to him, than anybody that's out there. 
Yeah, but Bernie Sanders is a doddering old fool. I'm sorry, he <laughs> oh, is. Oh, he is. But if, if they, that's what I'm saying. The Black Lives Matter group just wanted to get out there and run their mouths and, and show their asses and, and make yeah. a spectacle of themselves instead of listening to what the man says who was at the civil rights, you know, was arrested for civil rights. Uh, you know, yeah, marching with the, yeah, like marching with the protesters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but they the have Democrats, no idea what they're doing. But the Democrats were the ones that were against civil rights to begin with. Right. Right. Well, he's Nobody a knows that. Really a Democrat. Look at look at George McGovern for God's sake. Y'all are too young to know, but trust me, the the Democrats, Sheets Bird, you know, that's all right. I call him and Rush. I mean, come on, these people were KKK members. I mean, they were right. They they, they were like staunchly anti, you know, civil rights. Staunchly. Right. Exactly. The, I mean, for God's sakes, that. Robert Byrd stayed in stayed in Congress until what, 2010? When he right. died. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he was a he was a staunch staunch member of what the KKK or either the yeah, KKK yeah, or he was a uh, or he was uh, strictly against you know civil rights. I mean, granted, according to his supporters, he switched sides on the issue a lot later in life and tried to you know reform him or start, sorry, in the words of Barack Obama, he tried to quote unquote evolve on the issue. But that still doesn't that still doesn't erase his past history of you know having former ties to the KKK and support you know being against the Civil Rights Act. And, yeah, when it was so. when it was politically that's why they call him Sheets Bird. That's why they call him Sheets Bird. Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I don't know, but getting back to to the Republicans, I can see, I could see Bush, but I. I I don't think if he continues to look like he did in that debate and at the end and even if he would have had decent comments or even earlier in that debate when he got to the end and said I want your vote whenever the voting time is for the when when's the primary I mean it just sounded so ridiculous like he didn't even know mm-hmm. when the debate or when the primaries were going to be or it just sounded so out of touch with what he probably should have known, and if he, and if he, even if he's not supposed to know that, why say it that way? To to put yourself in that position, if you don't know, don't 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 stretch, don't don't go in that direction with your with your comments. I mean, it, it, he he didn't come across very well at all, and that's what I was saying. I don't I don't think he did very well. And and as far as VPs go, if it is Bush, I don't think it'll be Rubio because that'll be they're not going to have. They're not going to have two Florida guys. Well, and I can't see Bush taking a second-tier status, you know, a VP role, personally. Oh, no, I, I'm not saying he's going to – I'm saying if if Bush was the nominee, it wouldn't be Rubio. It would be Kasich or Cruz. Yeah. And see, that just I, – I don't know. It just kind of blows my mind because of all the GOP candidates that were debating Thursday, I mean, Rand Paul is one of those that has a proven track record of – standing behind his principles. He's also one of the only ones that, while they've been campaigning, has made the vast majority of votes and roll calls for uh, for the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, while Cruz and Rubio, I believe, have missed about 70 votes, Ted, uh, Rand Paul has only missed three. So, I mean, not only is he campaigning, but he's also fulfilling his duties as, you know, elected representative for the state mm-hmm. of Kentucky. 
Yeah, yeah, they got millions to raise. They got millions to raise. It just blows my mind though, because I mean, of all the issues that are important, you know, that are important to this day and age, like criminal justice reform, Fourth Amendment protections, uh, tax reform. I mean, Paul has a plan on all of these things. Granted, a lot of people don't know; they don't do their research, and that harkens back to, like you said, the low information voters. But it just People don't do their research, and it just blows my mind because there is, you know, we live in the age of information. I mean, if people wanted to know, they could know easily. And people all the time, I see them on Twitter, I see them on Facebook, I see them on Google+. They are demonizing Rand Paul for, and the and just re- Republicans in general, for not having, you know, for not having plans behind their actions. They give, you know, they say that they advocate for certain things, but they don't give specifics. People like Paul and even um, Chris Christie said that he had, what, a 12-point plan? That's available right here on the Internet. But people are so used to, you know, hearing that Republicans don't have a plan. They just advocate for stuff, but they don't have, you know, they don't have specifics behind their actions or behind their words. I mean, it's available right here. I mean, if you just do the research. But in society now, if it's not 140 characters or if it's – if you have to click continue here to read more or read more Mm -hmm. on Facebook, people are like, oh, they just keep scrolling. They don't care. They don't have. They don't want to take the time, the two or three minutes. And if you actually do click on an article and you have to scroll more than once or twice, it's like, whatever. I'm not reading this. Well, that and if they don't understand completely the subject matter, you know what I mean. I mean, when you come to, I mean, Paul's um 14.5 percent tax rate. I mean, people don't understand everything that entail, you know, that is entailed with the tax system, capital gains, loophole, you know, quote unquote loopholes, or as they're known in, you know, people that are economically literate, you know, deductions, write-offs, and credits. I mean, people aren't willing to take the time, it seems, to research the subjects to see, you know, if the if the candidate that they're trying to support actually, if his plan actually makes sense, his or her plan, if they actually make sense, or whether or not, you know. It just sounds here's, good. Here's what's Rand Paul's problem with his tax plan, and I, I'm not necessarily against a fair tax, but it's going to get slaughtered by the Democrats and the media. Well, see, his is a flat tax, though. It's not right. a it's not a fair tax. Right, right, yeah. Which, 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 which shows again that it's you know these are very complex issues that these people are talking about. Right. And they're very and they're very easily confused. Right, but to finish what I was saying is. It's going to get obliterated by the media and by the Democrats and the left because when you break it down, middle class, I think when you get up to around 50000 or 75000 they they will earn 3% more in their on their paychecks than they do, than they do now. However, mm-hmm. if you make more than a million dollars, they're going to keep 13% more. They're going to act, the left is going to decry that as, oh, my God, this is a plan for the rich. Yeah, it's a regressive tax. Typical Republican nonsense where it's all for the rich. Rich are going to get richer, and it's just and I'm I'm for the middle class and blah blah blah. You know how you've heard Hillary? That's been her whole pitch this whole time was how middle class she is and what a middle class yeah. she is. Yeah. You know, any but it, it make it, you you said it earlier. It makes a good soundbite, and people are so selfish nowadays that they don't want to actually break it down. And they're thinking, oh, cool, she's going to be looking out for me. I'm middle class. She's going to be looking out for me. These Republicans aren't. They're going to make – the rich people are going to make 14% more, and I'm only going to make 3% more. That's yeah, but the real draw for Hillary, the real draw for Hillary 
is not because she's going to be the first woman president. The real draw for Hillary is she's going to be married to the first black president. Mm-hmm. And he's really the one that's going to call the shots. And we're going to get back to where we were back in the day. Right. Old oh, he, there's school. no doubt he's going How to get back. How many times do you hear that? Old school, old school. Yeah, people are very nostalgic, and they forget the fact that while Clinton was in office, he had a Republican or a Republican-led Congress holding his feet to the fire. Right. You know, people yes, hear you know, people hear the word Clinton, and they automatically associate that name with with quote unquote balanced budgets and you know criminal justice reform. Even though it's not really a reform, it actually made the system worse. But they associate Clinton with balanced budgets, not con- you know, not taking into account that he had a Republican. You know, Congress that really held his feet to the fire, making him make a lot of cuts that he otherwise would not have made. Mm-hmm. Got that too. But I will say one thing in Clinton's defense: he reformed welfare. They yes, back. yeah, absolutely. Barack Obama rolled back all the things mm-hmm. that Clinton signed into office. Mm-hmm. These all the work requirements, just yeah. But you know what? I mean. That was one thing that was attributed to Trump was businesses do better under a Democratic president. Trump's not the first person I heard that from. The first person I heard that from was from my dad, who owned a small business for over 30 years. God, please. (laughs) I'm telling you, he he used to say that. He would would say this that exactly. But you can't attribute the economy to the presidency because there are so many more factors in play. And like I said, most Democratic presidencies are accompanied with Republican-led Congresses, which are, I hate to say it, but they're more in control of the economy than the president could ever hope of being. And it was designed that way for a specific reason. It it takes years for for the, the law, the presidential decrees and things like that that they enact it takes years for those to truly take effect. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that's why Reagan had such a great run because he had the full eight years of the of the 80s. And then, you know, by the end, all of his enactments and everything that he got passed through that he worked with, with you know, Congress and Tip O'Neill and that whole crew got passed. And that's when you started to see everything really turning on, turning on strong by the end. And I feel like Clinton kind of rode that rode that same thing under under Reagan and Bush. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a lot of my economics classes that I took, you know, in college, considering, you know, I have an economics minor, and, you know, it's not a major, but it's a minor. But, uh, uh, you know, that was discussed. I mean, a lot of these policies that are enacted by the president and Congress, they don't have their full effects aren't felt on average for seven to ten years after their enactment. So, like you mm-hmm. said, it takes time for them to go into effect, and then the next president is usually attributed with the, you know, with the consequences, either good or bad, of that of, of that legislation. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that Bush did, Obama was blamed for or received credit for, and I'm sure it's going to be the same way for the next president. I mm-hmm. haven't heard Obama being blamed for a damn thing yet. Well, by Republicans, I mean, I've heard. Nothing but everything was Georgia Bush's fault back right. to the Civil War times. I mean, <laughs> and I'm really getting tired of it. Yeah. And I think I, literally, I mean, just to wrap it up, I think that um, on my part, um, to wrap it up on my part, but I think that 
the only reason that Donald Trump resonates so much with the American public is because he doesn't care. He just says whatever. We're not used to that from politicians, and he's not a politician. So yeah. it's, 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 if nothing else, it has actually kind of brought a fresh air to everything. Um, I don't agree with everything he says. I think what he said about John McCain was abhorrent. I really do. The man was a war hero. I'm sorry, but he was. He mm-hmm. stayed in the Hanoi Hilton for five years and let you know people go ahead of him. Um, the man can't even raise his arms, for God's sake, because he's been tortured so much. I mean, right. I think that was abhorrent. I think I think he's done some really dirty, nasty things. I think I think he said some really bad things. I really do. But I think the the, the he just he just says what he thinks, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's good, and sometimes that's bad. But, but that's, it, that's it, just it. That's what different. I was saying. He's he's just acting and talking about people how he always did. The whole yeah, the Rosie O'Donnell thing. He, we're not they, we're not used to that in this country. Right. We're not we're not used to that. We're used to this, you know. Yeah, he has shock value. Double speak. Right. We're used to, we're used to double speak. We're used to they say all this stuff and you don't know what the hell they said, but it sounded good, and then they move on to the next you know reporter. I mean, it, it's I like to think of it. I hope that I'm correct, but I like to think of it as the pendulum is starting to swing the other way, and I hope mm. it does. I hope it does. If not, yeah. we're doomed. <laughs> yeah. I personally have no issue whatsoever with him saying any of the stuff that he's said so far. It, I mean, it's it's crass, yes, but you know what? If that's how he feels and that's what he wants to say, then, then let the voters decide if they feel like that's appropriate or not. You know, don't sit isn't, here and, like, you know, talking about Megyn Kelly or... But isn't is, that the way it's supposed to be, Drake? I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Isn't that the way it was 300 years ago? I mean, isn't that the way, you know, 250, 280 years ago? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? It's supposed it is. To be, you know. It is. Okay. That is the way it's supposed to be, but political yeah. correctness has basically ruined the country. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, and you got to think that today's political correctness almost holds no type of uh, flame to the political or to the political incorrectness of uh the late 17th century, sorry, the late 18th century, the, you know, late 1700s, early 1800s. If I remember right, James Madison in one of his um in one of his attack ads against one of his opponents, he called him the uh, the half breed son of an Indian squaw. So I mean, you know, I mean, hmm. people aren't you know people aren't going after each other's family and stuff, and it's always you know po- politics has always been very de- you know very divisive, very inflammatory, but. The political incorrectness of today doesn't hold a candle to the political incorrectness of years past. Right. Yeah, because there was no political correctness. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I'd vote for him because he tells it like it is. Well, we'll see how it all I'd vote for him because he tells it like it is. But yeah, he doesn't no tell it like it is. Breed. I mean, I just that like no I just said the son of a squall. <laughs> But he lies, apparently. I mean, apparently, and nobody's having a problem with it. He didn't contribute to hardly any of the candidates that he said that, you know, he did. He said that, like, I mean, I just, you know, he didn't contribute to Rand Paul's, you know, campaign. And he said that he did, and he tried to and he tried to undermine his Paul's stance because he contributed to him when he really didn't. And a lot of his, quote-unquote, troops are built on a foundation of lies. It just blows my mind. 
Well, he called Rosie O'Donnell fat. That's good enough for me. He's got my vote. Oh, don't get me wrong. I fully agree with him on stuff, you know, on a few issues like that. But, but I mean, I, I just hate hearing. Like I like like I just hate hearing people say that he's you know that he tells it like it is when he when he's proven to be you know a liar on a lot of stuff and a lot of his a lot of his words don't match don't match his track record. Hmm. I agree. Right. I agree. I mean, but it's been fun. I mean, it's been fun. Right. I knew he was never going to be the. I knew he was never going to be the nominee. Um. I, I knew he would. He would take it as far as he could take it because he's a narcissistic nutcase. But um, you know, it's been fun. So. Right. Well, what, well here's, I was here's curious what the group thinks about um the accusation. Well, I don't know if it's an accusation or if it's a truth, but that prior to entering the GOP race and trying to get the nominee that he was um that him and Bill Clinton had communications and Bill Clinton encouraged him to take a larger role in the GOP debate. And I'm curious if that has any merit and if that and if y'all see that as almost like the Democratic Party introducing a sleeper cell into the Republican, you know, into the Republican I, race. I've heard that and 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 I wouldn't doubt that he does personally. have history in the uh democratic party and all that yeah absolutely yeah but he did look like an idiot when he sat there and said yeah i contributed to hillary camp hillary's campaign and she was at my wedding who gives a damn i mean i thought that was kind of a weak moment for him in the debate i mean uh nobody cares you know that was great actually i, I mean because well, it's um, well, it just kind of tarnishes his record. I mean, it kind of shows that he's got a track record of trying to buy politicians off, you know, buy favors, which well, in this political environment is very dangerous. Is it, is it negative on him? But is it negative he, on him or is it negative on politicians? I would say just it's a, ne- it's a negative on a candidate because today it seems like, I mean, with this whole Citizens United and – the whole movement against, you know, money and politics that when a candidate comes out and openly admits that they have previously tried to buy favors with politicians and they expect things for these donations. I mean, it kind of reaffirms the idea that, you know, that, the, that, you know, America is more of an oligarchy than it is, you know, a democracy or sorry, a constitutional republic. Well, <laughs> actually, Josh, it, 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 that's just, uh, that's capitalism. Well, that, and well, that's crony is. capitalism. That's crony but, capitalism, I'd say. That's, but that's the downside of capitalism. Capitalism is an awesome thing. Competition is an awesome thing. Um, but there are downsides to everything, and that is one of the downsides. But you know what? Um, he at least told you. I mean, you know, we, we get what we asked for. Barack Obama said he was going to fundamentally change this country. He never lied to us. He told us exactly. Exactly what he was going to do, and by mm-hmm. God, he's done it. My big issue with him is you, his executive orders piss me off beyond belief because he totally disregards the Constitution. And but there's not one single son of a bitch up on that stage that would do anything to stop it. None of them have. None right, of Paul them would. have. <laughs> None of them have. So well, I can't say that any of them are worthy of my vote because none of them have done it. Yes, Rand Paul filibustered and sit on, you know, Capitol Hill for 16 hours or whatever and talk, but none of them have stopped 
anything that that son of a bitch has done. None of them. None of them have said it's wrong. None of them have stood up and said, this is not the way that this country is supposed to work. This is not what our founding fathers had in mind. None of them have taken his ass to Congress and asked for an Article 32 um, uh, impeachment. None of them have done that. None of them. So, you know, they all are very brave for doing what they do because it's a very hard thing to run for president because they're up your butt with a microscope. But I still think they all have their own best interests at heart, and that's what irritates me. Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly does lend credence to all the talk about Hillary's foundation or the Clinton Foundation that's taken all these bribes and for for political favor and things like that. I mean, that if nothing else, that's certainly not going to help the Clinton campaign because well, people, well, people don't understand too that the major donors that are contributing to Hitler, that are contributing to Hillary Clinton's campaign. They're also contributing to Jeb Bush's campaign. Right. So, I mean, the money's flowing both ways because, I mean, as you said, I mean, the crony capitalists and, you know, the and the lobbyists are trying to hedge their bets either way. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to get their, they're trying to get their money in both people's pockets. So whoever wins, they, they owe them. And, and I mean, exactly. And Trump's part of that and Trump's part of the quote unquote, the problem. Right. Absolutely. Trey, so Trey, so if it came down to if it came down to a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump presidency, for God's sakes, let's pray that doesn't happen. But should it ever occur, which one would you find yourself leaning towards? Um, I side with Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Now, is that just because of his? Is that because of like you said he? He quote unquote tells it like it is, or is that because of any other issues? Um, I just don't like how uh, like socialist and you know uh, Sanders is, you know, like like I guess um, I'm more I don't know. Dang, I'm freaking tired. <laughs> I can't think of I can't think I can't think of words right now. But um, I don't like socialism. I'll just say that I'm not a red. <laughs> not a red. That's communism, man. <laughs> Whatever. He is an communist. communist, though. Yeah, I mean, he's, what, like two degrees away from communist, pretty much. Yeah, he's a socialist. He says he's a socialist because he just didn't think... He, he's he's basically like Trump running as a Republican because he feels like that's his quick, his best way he can be elected. Yeah. He knows, Bernie Sanders knows he, he never would have gotten elected as he, as a senator or anything. As a socialist, so he ran as yeah. a Democrat. Well, gentlemen, I am going to bid you adieu. All right. Well, Star, thank you for stopping by, and thank you for battling me on these issues. Right, real <laughs> quick, since I said we would talk about it, we've run out of time, basically, but uh, where would be your stance on legalization of prostitution? I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Let them know. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't really affect me personally. It's kind of like the gay marriage thing, you know. We're gonna have to re. We'll have to revisit revisit this topic in a future time. But um, it seems to work out very well in Las Vegas, so. Yeah, Vegas or you know different cities in Nevada, it's legal. That's the only 
I guess, counties that it's technically legal or state that it's technically legal. Well, at least you can you can go to someone that's maybe healthy and doesn't have a lot of things they're going to give you. And I mean, if that's your bag, okay. But I mean, possibly. I, I mean, that's that's taking that's believing that they actually are getting tested every week or every two weeks or exactly. whatever. Well, and it yeah. also kind of undermines the illegal sex trade, you know, system that's going on. I mean, a lot of people are being imported from foreign countries domestically just so they can partake in the sex trade with promises of being released, you know, and after a year, after they pay a certain fee. And I think if you were to legalize it, I mean, people would, it would empower the individual a lot more. You talking about the Yankee crankies? The, um, I'm not sure. I, uh... <laughs> But I, I think it could still contribute even more. But we'll have to we're, we'll have to shut her down because we're, we're approaching ten o'clock. But uh, it, there's there's definitely arguments to both sides. I'm again, it's kind of like I can see legalization for for people's freedom of choice and what they want to do. I don't think the people that are in it, for the most part, I think are in it on their own volition. I believe. Um, and it's kind of a as long as as long as everybody's taken care of it can also allow anyone who's a sexual deviant or, or intends to hurt the worker, so to speak, it can allow them to go to the police if there is a, a situation of a of assault or yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. Whereas now they don't have much much choice. Well, hey, I was being My paid pimp beat me up. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we're, it we're is the oldest up. profession. Yeah, yeah, that's indeed. Cool. And talk about taxing the income from that as well. Um, so the government shouldn't have any problem with it, I would think. Taxation, licensing, everything else that yeah, you know, yeah, the every other kind of source of revenue you could imagine being associated with any other industry. Yep. All right. Well, let's wrap Good it night, up for tonight. Good night, Good night. Have a good week. Good night, sir. All right, guys. Everybody hit up at Gen XYZ Podcast on all social media. Hit up at The Real Dre. Hit up at I Am The Real Trey. Um, at J underscore Neil and Josh nice. Neal on Facebook. Woo. Uh, hit, hit it hard. Let us know what you think, what you want to hear, what you want us to talk about. Everybody. Chime in. Let us know. Let us know. This is, show is for you guys and for opening up more discussion on all topics such as this. So let us hear what you got to say. Until next week, this has been the Gen XYZ Podcast. See you. Good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.